Hey everyone, welcome to another week of Chris's Courses and our current series, Questions in Genesis, where we're going through the first book of Scripture to see what questions it wants us to ask about who God is and who we are as God's people. So right now we're in the middle of Jacob's story. He's become our main character, and he's definitely um, an interesting character, right? There's a lot of moral ambiguity when it comes to Jacob and the way he's been treating his family and uh, the way his family treats him. And so far, we've seen that it's, it's been this contest, this competition between Jacob and his twin brother Esau, where Jacob is kind of a clever mama's boy, and Esau is a dumb manly man. Um, so Jacob, in the previous story, stole Esau's blessing at, because his mommy told him to, and then his brother gets mad, of course, so he has to run for his life. But on his way out, you know, even though Jacob stole Esau's blessing, we saw that his father Isaac still gave Jacob the covenant blessing of Abraham back in chapter 28, right? He still blesses him knowing that it is Jacob. So we're seeing that Esau isn't the chosen one in the sense of carrying on Abraham's blessing, but Jacob was meant to have his own blessing, just like Esau is meant to have his own blessing. And it's a pattern that we see throughout Genesis of God. God doesn't bless those who are already naturally blessed. God chooses the weaker brother, the unexpected choice. That's where God tends to to go and give blessing. And so um, on his way out, Jacob is, is running. The excuse is that he needs to go and find a wife with his relatives. And on the way there, he has this encounter with God. But now we're getting to the part of the story where Jacob meets Rachel. So this is in chapter 29 of Genesis, and we're going to skim through uh, some parts of this story. So chapter 29 starts with this scene where there's Jacob comes upon these shepherds who end up, they, they know the family that he's looking for, his uncle Laban, uh, but the shepherds can't get water for their sheep because the well is covered, uh, and it's this big, heavy rock. But then listen to see what happens in starting in verse 9. While he was still talking to them, Rachel came with her father's flock, since she was its shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his uncle, and the flock of Laban, Jacob came up, rolled the stone from the well's opening, and watered the flock of his uncle Laban. Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and told, Jacob told Rachel that he was related to her father, that he was Rebekah's son, so she went to tell her father. So <laughs> I think the scene here is it's like the power of love enables him to roll this stone away. Right? Maybe Jacob isn't so weak after all, or it might be trying to show that he's strong now because he has Esau's blessing. Uh, either way, uh, Jacob is, is not the weakling that he maybe presents himself as or the story sometimes presents him as. So he's met up with his family, and then uh, he gets to go meet with his uncle Laban. And uh, we'll see what kind of character is, is this guy. So picking up in verse 15. Laban said to Jacob, you shouldn't have to work for free just because you're my relative. Tell me what you'd like to be paid. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and was good looking. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban said, I'd rather give her to you than to another man. Stay with me. Jacob worked for Rachel for seven years, but it seemed like a few days because he loved her. So what kind of character is Laban? And you're probably already getting a little bit of a picture here. Uh, someone that's a little bit shady, 
uh, it's definitely the case of Jacob, who's been a trickster, is meeting another trickster. I I kind of imagine him as like a a shady used car salesman. Um, And, you know, even the way that he, he talks to to Jacob about the the arrangement that they make, right? When he says, I'll work all this time so that I can marry your daughter, Rachel. He says, well, better you than some other guy, right? Doesn't seem like the best father. Um, and we're going to see <laughs> the way that these two tricksters are going to play off each other through the story. Now, we're also introduced to the older daughter, Leah, in this story. And as this interesting phrase in verse 17, there's there's different ways it gets translated, and nobody's really sure what it means, where it talks about her having soft eyes or delicate eyes. I don't know if this is supposed to be a, a positive thing or a negative thing. You know, is it saying, well, Leah had a great personality, right? You know, where it's it's a compliment, but it's actually kind of an insult, too. Uh, it's She's definitely contrasted with Rachel, who is very obviously beautiful in every way. So even if Leah has nice eyes, well, you know, Jacob knows which daughter he loves, and it's based here just on physical attractiveness. Now, arranged marriage is it's part of the culture in this story. You know, they don't really get a say. It's it's their father's decision. And but as we go through these stories, I want us to think about well, what how is how is the story wanting us to think about these women? I think it does invite sympathy for the way that these women are used. Uh, but it's it's a lot of times it's it's up to you and it's up to interpretation. But that's how I hear it, and we'll continue to think about how, how Leah is going to feel through this, or even how Rachel would feel through all these things. All right, so uh, we'll pick up in verse 21 after Jacob has worked for these seven years to marry Rachel. Jacob said to Laban, The time has come. Give me my wife so that I may sleep with her. So Laban invited all the people of that place and prepared a banquet. However, in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given his servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her servant. In the morning, there she was, Leah. Jacob said to Laban, What have you done to me? Didn't I work for you to have Rachel? Why did you betray me? Laban said, Well, where we live, we don't give the younger woman before the oldest. Complete the celebratory week with this woman, and then I'll give you the other woman too for your work, if you work for me seven more years. So that's what Jacob did. He completed the celebratory week with this woman, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban had also given his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her servant. Jacob slept with Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban seven more years. So here the de- the, the deceiver is deceived. Right? I've, I've altered the deal. Uh, you know, it's this kind of surprising statement when morning came. It's Leah. Right, which kind of makes you wonder, like he didn't. Why didn't you notice that before, Jacob? Maybe she was veiled. Probably there was drinking involved at this wedding. You think he'd work this hard for this long? He might pay a little more attention. What do you make of of Laban's reasoning here? Right, his excuse for pulling this on his son-in-law officially now. Uh, well, you know, the older one can't get married. Or the older one has to get married first for the younger one. Right. Well. Uh, we don't know if this was actually a, a custom or routine. Uh, my main thing, I think, is uh, couldn't this have been mentioned at any point over the past seven years that, hey, you can't actually marry Rachel unless Leah gets married in that time? You know, uh, there's also some irony here of firstborn status causing problems for Jacob yet again, right? He's barely, you know, he was grabbing his brother's heel, but he came out second and and so he's always felt a little, you know, that he's trying to make up for that. Uh, and so this firstborn stuff is, 
affecting him again. And, you know, the, the way the story's told is kind of focused on, on Jacob and, and what Laban does to him. But again, I, I tend to go to Leah. How would she feel in this, that her father kind of forces her into this marriage that he doesn't even want, the, the person she's marrying doesn't want, and then she's treated as, as second class, right? It says clearly, clearly that Jacob loved Rachel. Uh, he favors her and, and not Leah. And so, again, we think about who, who gets treated like Leah today, who often, women, uh, is, is used uh, for, for other people's purposes and doesn't receive the love that they should. Um, we, don't, we don't hear a whole lot about her, although we're about to, uh, to see the way that uh, the drama comes between Leah, Leah and Rachel as uh, both the wives of Jacob. But I think this is something we always want to pay attention to, is who tends to get ignored, who doesn't receive the love that, that they do deserve, even if they're not as pretty as their other sister, or even if they're lacking other gifts or strengths. Um, nobody deserves to be treated this way, um, and yet this is what happens. All right, so now we're going to pick up in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to have children. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben because she said, The Lord saw my harsh treatment, and now my husband will love me. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a son. She said, The Lord heard that I was unloved, so he gave me this son too, and she named him Simeon. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a son. She said, Now this time my husband will embrace me, since I have given birth to three sons for him. So she named him Levi. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a son. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped bearing children. So here we're beginning a, a long narrative about the birth of Jacob's 12 sons, who are going to become uh, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, uh, the important part to me of this story is that here we get the first appearance of God in the story since that dream back in Bethel when uh, Jacob was on his way uh, to Laban. And... So we ask, I mean, again, these are, I think, the most important questions in Genesis. What does God's involvement here say about God? What we see is that God loves the unloved person, that uh, the person that the story and everyone else in the story wants to ignore or push aside or treat as a, a problem, that's who God's going to work through. That's who God is going to bless. And also this sense, you know, this is probably... Uh, definitely their mindset that life only comes when God gives it. So God is uh, deciding uh, which which wife can give birth and get pregnant and which which one isn't. Uh, life is a gift from God, and, and God is involved in that. So we're going to talk more about uh, all the names and and the way that she's she's thinking about it. I mean, it definitely even here you you hear the sadness in it. Right? Every son is just okay. Now he'll love me. Now he he's going to love me. And, you know, this still happens today that people think a, a baby is going to solve their relationship problems, and it doesn't, right? It's not going to address what's really going on. Um, you know, Jacob obviously was still uh, inviting, you know, spending quality evening time with Leah, but, uh, yeah, he doesn't really love her, and she knows that, even after she bears him all of these sons. But we'll talk more about the names in just a minute. You know, if, if you look in your Bibles, you'll probably see footnotes that every name that she gives relates to that statement that she makes about what they mean for her. 
Now, before we go any further in the story, I want you to think about your own family and what causes drama there. And we've all got it to some extent or in different ways. Maybe it's that uh, you know, political divisions or different opinions about any of the things that are, that are going on in the world today. Uh, maybe there's drama because just how people treat one another. Uh, there's emotional immaturity. Maybe there's, there's not good boundaries. And so people's, people are up in each other's business all the time. Or maybe it's on the other side where you just never talk about anything that's going on. And uh, you have a culture in your family of just letting things simmer. Uh, and so there's, there's all sorts of ways that families can, can have problems. Uh, everybody's families are, are, are challenging in their own unique ways. Uh, but I'm going to guess for most that are listening, the problem is not because of uh, polygamy and arguments about who is uh, going to be having babies with who. You know, uh, we're going to see this as we go through here, but I think Genesis is, is really kind of making the point that having multiple wives isn't the best plan, and we're going to see the way that that causes drama. Uh, now, I want you to hear uh, the longer story of this in chapter 30. Uh, this is how the rest of the sons and, and a daughter is born. And I actually have a recording that we're going to switch over to in a second from when I went through this in, in a class. And so I've got some different readers. I've got uh, a couple women that will read the parts of Leah and Rachel because they're pretty much the, the main speakers and actors in this, and I'll, I'll be narrating. So listen to this. And, and as you listen, just think about uh, how, do you, how do you react to this, right? What emotional reactions do you experience? How do you think you're supposed to feel? through this? Is it funny? Is it tragic? Is it both? So listen to this recording, and then we'll talk about what's going on in this family drama. All right, so Genesis 30. When Rachel realized that she could bear Jacob no children, Rachel became jealous of her sister and spoke to Jacob. Give me children. If you don't, I may as well be dead. <laughs> Do you think I'm God? God alone has kept you from giving birth. Here's my servant Bilhah. Sleep with her and she'll give birth for me. Because of her, I will also have children. So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as his wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Jacob. God has judged in my favor, heard my voice, and given me a son. So she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son for Jacob. I have competed fiercely with my sister, and now I've won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah realized that she had stopped bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as his wife. Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to a son for Jacob. What good luck. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to a second son for Jacob. I'm blessed now because women call me blessed. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Give me your son's mandrakes. Isn't it enough that you've taken my husband? Now you want to take my son's mandrakes, too. For your son's mandrakes, Jacob may sleep with you tonight. When Jacob paid him back from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me because I paid for you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God responded to Leah. She became pregnant and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. Give me what I paid for, what I deserved for giving my servant to my husband. Or God gave me. Okay. God gave me what I paid for. So she named him Issachar. Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. God has given me a wonderful gift. Now my husband will honor me since I've borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. After this, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. 
Then God remembered Rachel, responded to her, and let her conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has taken away my shame. She named him Joseph, saying to herself, May the Lord give me another son. Apologies for the difference in audio quality, but that's what you get when you're just recording on your phone uh, in a classroom. So again, how, do you, how did you hear that story? Right? There's parts of it that seem funny as they're arguing over this and they're like literally selling Jacob who gets to sleep with them that night. The fact that Jacob has one line in the entire story I think is, is kind of funny. <laughs> he's just kind of uh, passively sleeping with whoever he's told to sleep with. Uh, and you know, it's also tragic though. You know, as we've already heard, Leah is, is trying to make up for the lack of love that she's feeling. Uh, I don't think we should ignore uh, how, how abusive it is that they're using these uh, servants, these enslaved women, and saying, hey, you're going to sleep with my husband now. And also, when, when you have babies, those are going to be my babies. Uh, that's actually incredibly horrible when you think about it. Um, and so we, we do want to feel for, for those two servants uh, the, that are used in that way. Again, I, the so with all you know the comedy or, or drama and everything of it, it's yeah, it is drama, right? And the way that we use that of you know this is not the ideal for a family. Uh, having multiple wives is just going to make things more difficult, especially when they're sisters and they already don't seem to like each other very much. And so you kind of wonder, you know, why are we getting all of this? You know, this is the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. Should they, if, if this were me, if this were our family history, I don't know if I would want this told, right? So should the 12 tribes really celebrate their origins? Uh, it, it's, and again, you wonder, where is God working in this? What's God opi- God's opinion of it? God's mentioned a lot, right? God shows up in a lot of the names, uh, and sometimes they might be thankful, but a lot of times they're just gloating over their sister. You know, I think, again, going back to the previous into the previous chapter, you know, Leah has three sons where she's trying to get uh, her her husband to love her, even and she'll name God in that, but you know, that's the purpose. It's not till she gets to Judah that she's like, I'm just I'm just gonna praise God now. Uh, so again, God is is mentioned, but I think this is one of the many stories where God is like, Yeah, leave me out of this, guys. This is I don't want anything to do with this. Uh, but you do see God working in it in that whoever is unloved, whoever is unno- ignored, that's where God is going to be blessing. First, it's Leah, obviously, but even Rachel, uh, is, God blesses her in the end. Although her response to having a son finally is, well, I hope I get another one. Uh, you know, and so I don't think we need to assume that God is approving of all of this. You know, we do know that there's supposed to be a large family for, for this, this people group, right? They're going to eventually uh, be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but this doesn't have to be the way that God wanted it to happen. We're always seeing this tension between um, God's intent and human plans, and when humans are doing things that aren't really what God would want. God is still able to work through that, but I don't think that should mean we, we just baptize all these actions and say, well, of course it's fine that these women were fighting uh, for who gets to sleep with them, and they're using their, their slaved, enslaved women like this. Uh, we don't have to say God approves that, even if God does work through it in the end. So then we get uh, the next part of the story. It's it's time to leave, right? There's already been enough drama, and, and Jacob needs to go home. So I'm going to pick up in verse 25 of chapter 30, and just read a few verses, and then we'll kind of summarize what happens next. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me off so I can go to my own place, my own country. Give me my wives and children whom I've worked for, and I will go. 
You know the work I've done for you. Laban said to him, Do me this favor. I've discovered by a divine sign that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So name your price, and I'll pay it. So he, Jacob has to go back to the promised land. He knows that's, that's where he's meant to be, and he's going to be blessed as he do it. But Laban is still trying to, to get a little something out of it in the end. This is a good example of sometimes it's necessary to have some distance from, from family. Uh, and sometimes that's hard to do. You know, maybe you can't actually move away from, from family, or maybe you have to be close to them for some reason. And, you know, we live in a very different time where even if you do live, uh, you know, geo- if you're separated geographically, you can always still be in touch. And, you know, it, it is, hopefully you have a good family that you want to be close to them, but even then, sometimes you, you need a little bit of space, and that can be a healthy thing. And so, as they're working this out, how Jacob and Laban are going to separate from each other, uh, the rest of this uh, chapter is them coming to this agreement where Jacob can take all of these speckled and spotted and black sheep and goats, um, and then Laban can have the rest, right? And the idea behind that is those are more rare. They're less common. So Jacob is saying, I'm not, I don't need a, a whole lot of your stuff. Just give me these random ones. Uh, and Laban agrees to that. But then what he goes and does is he, ahead of time, he takes out all the ones that he can find that are like that, you know, so that in, in theory, Jacob would get nothing. But then Jacob does this whole process where, like, as the, uh, the animals are breeding, he puts these speckled, spotted branches in front of them, and that produces only uh, strong, spotted sheep. The animal science behind that is a little questionable. Now, we're going to see later he's going to attribute that to God, but you know, how the science works is not really the point. It's about God blessing through Jacob. Uh, uh, God blessing Jacob through <laughs> a bizarre method, possibly. Right? We don't read these kind of stories in Genesis uh, with, with modern science in view because that's not the way they understood it. The point is, first, that God is blessing Jacob, and also, I think, secondary, that, that Jacob is the superior deceiver. Right? He, when you get through the end of the chapter, uh, Jacob still has an enormous amount of animals, and he's blessed. And so you see this in verse, uh, I'll read the end here, verse 43. The man Jacob became very, very rich. He owned large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So despite Laban's best efforts, Jacob still is is blessed. And I think we're meant to read that as because God is with him. It's not just because he's so smart. And so then it's definitely time to go. So picking up in uh, chapter 31. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob took everything our father owned, and from it he produced all of this wealth. And then Jacob saw that Laban no longer liked him as much as he used to. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your ancestors and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent for Rachel and Leah and summoned them into the field where his flock was. He said to them, I'm aware that your father no longer likes me as much as he used to, but my father's God has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father as hard as I could. Your father cheated me and changed my payment ten times, yet God didn't let him harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your payment, the whole flock gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the striped ones will be your payment, the whole flock gave birth to striped young. God took away your father's livestock and gave them to me. And when the flocks were mating, I looked up and I saw in a dream that the male goats had mounted the flocks, were striped, speckled, and spotted. And in the dream, God's messengers said to me, Jacob, I said, I'm here. He said, look up and watch all the striped, speckled, and spotted male goats mounting the flock. I've seen everything that Laban is doing to you. 
I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a sacred pillar and where you made a solemn promise to me. Now, get up, leave this country, and go back to the land of your relatives. So then the rest of the story is him, him leaving there. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, how Jacob is, is narrating and describing what's been happening here. Right? Is this account that he gives accurate? He says, 10 times your father's cheated me, which uh, probably in a bit of exaggeration, but maybe there were other things that we didn't see. Again, this is a span of probably 15 to 20 years. Uh, but then the other thing is that Jacob gives God credit for this whole thing with the sheep and how he ended up with all these spotted and speckled ones. Now, the question I think about is, did God actually give him this dream or vision about the sheep and say all these things to him that, that is there in verses 10 through 13? If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, when God does appear, we only get the, the very last statement about you need to go back to the promised land. We don't get anything where God says, this is how you do that. And, you know, we've seen uh, back when Jacob was deceiving his father that he lied about, oh, well, God blessed me with, with this food, right? That's how I was able to get it to you so quick. So I'm definitely not going to put it past Jacob to, to lie and say, oh, yeah, God did this for me. Uh, God gave me this vision. It was something he figured out. It's just interesting because usually when, when there's a dream that comes from God like this, we don't, we're hearing about it secondhand here, and usually we would see that happen in the story. So again, it's, it's a little ambiguous. We know that God is blessing Jacob, not that he deserves it. So it very well could be that that dream did happen, but you know, there's, there's some ambiguity. of <laughs> Should we trust Jacob here or not? Uh, I don't know if he's really earned that trust. And so after he explains all this, uh, they run away without saying goodbye, right? They're, they're not living quite in the same place. There's a little bit of distance already, and so they just take off. You know, and Leah and Rachel, for their part, in uh, verses 14 to 16, they're understandably, they're not happy with their father either. And so they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't care. Let's just go. On her way out, though, Rachel steals Laban's idols. You know, it it's, shouldn't actually surprise us that uh, people are not just worshiping the Lord, Yahweh. Uh, and so they, they still have these other little household gods, they call them. And Laban eventually catches up with them and, and questions about, you know, why'd you just take off so quick? But the main thing he's mad about is that these, these little gods are missing. And Rachel almost gets herself killed because Jacob says, hey, we didn't, I didn't take your stuff, buddy. You know, if you find somebody who did it, you can just kill them. Uh, he doesn't know that his favored wife is the one who stole them, but she also is able to <laughs> cleverly deceive her father so that he doesn't find them. Uh, he gets angry at what he sees. Uh, Jacob, sorry, gets angry at what he sees as a false accusation. So listen to what he says in, in verse 42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the awesome one of Isaac, hadn't been with me, you'd have no doubt sent me away without anything. God saw my harsh treatment and my hard work and reprimanded you yesterday. So again, he's, he's using God to say, see, that's why I'm coming out ahead here, Laban. God likes me, and he's mad at you. Right? This is him getting back at you for what you've done. It's possible, but that's, again, I think Jacob reading into the situation a little bit. And so they end the story with setting up this pillar that kind of divides their territory, and I think the idea is, like, if we cross it again, there's going to be trouble. And so... You know, Jacob, he, he definitely was taken advantage of through this by his father-in-law. But as, as we finish, we want to think about, okay, is it okay to deceive or cheat someone if they did it to you first? Is that justice? Right? Is that making things right? Is that, is that fair? Or is that just revenge? 
And uh, when, when are we using God to justify our own uh, desire for vengeance, right? Oh, God, God wanted me to have this, so it's okay that, that you're getting cheated now. Do we really think that that's the way that God works? Again, Genesis is, it's, it's almost troubling sometimes the way that God does continue to bless someone like Jacob when he so, at least in my mind, so clearly doesn't deserve it. Uh, but it's, again, this idea that God is being faithful, but that doesn't mean that God approves of everything that Jacob is doing. I think we have to ask, is there a healthy way to separate from a deceitful person? There are times that we've got to set up those boundaries, and if people are just toxic, even if they're family, uh, we have to find a way to have healthy distance so that uh, we can actually continue to have our own emotional health and, and do what's best for our own families. But we don't want to do that in a way that is also deceptive or also harmful uh, and also cheating people. Uh, it's, it's difficult. I, I, you know, as, a, as a minister, I talk to lots of people who are, who are dealing with that. And so you know, it, it takes wisdom. But through all of it, I think our mindset needs to be, what, what would God call me to in this? Uh, not just, what do I feel like I deserve? Uh, what's going to be easiest? It is hard to make some of these decisions, but they can be made in wisdom, and they can be done in a way that, that is honoring God and taking care of the most vulnerable. As we see through these stories, that is who God is most uh, caring about. Jacob has his problems. Next week, we're going to see how God really <laughs> takes us into hand uh, in chapter 32 next week, we're going to get to really one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, probably my favorite story in Genesis, of uh, God coming and literally wrestling with Jacob so that he can learn something. So, you know, God is paying attention when, when we're using God in uh, ungodly ways, too, um, when we take God's name in that way. And so that's we're going to see next time how God takes care of that with Jacob. So, thanks for joining us today. We will see you next time.